Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Into the happy hour. Tony Gwynn Jr., Matt Scravy, Chris Ello stepping out for about 12, 15 minutes. Thank They'll be goodness. back for for the next segment. Uh, Scravy and I are just going to happy hour this way through uh, for the next 59 minutes. And so we haven't really talked a ton of Padre baseball other than the fact that the season, the preseason or spring training season kicks off tomorrow. Uh, but... There were Padres at work today. Yes, there were. Mike Schilt mm-hmm. is doing what he's going to do for the next month. Is talk to the media in the morning, give you the scrump scrape. Why don't you take us through some of the Mike Schilt chat? You know, I didn't realize that Mike Schilt was a funny guy. He's got a, he's got a he's got some yeah. he's got some uh, he, he's got like a dry humor he a does, little bit a little bit. But I think this is the first question everybody wants to know. Is Manny Machado going to play tomorrow? And who are the regulars going to be in tomorrow's starting lineup? Um, well, we haven't finalized that with our guys, so I don't want them to hear it through us. But most of them do know. But I would expect you to see a um, good representation in our infield and our outfield. That could be anything. The outfield could be anything. It's fair. <laughs> Where will Manny be? Manny will be enjoying the contest. Um, Close to me, not right beside me, but close to me. Manny's um, training in a really good place. We just want to clearly be smart. And you can expect a DH game out of him when things progress as they are sooner rather than later. Would that mean Xander at second tomorrow, likely? You guys are great. I love, <laughs> I love the persistence. I applaud it. I don't. I think it's fantastic. Um, Possibly. But yeah, I. Um, Inquiring minds will continue to want to know. <laughs> See, he, anybody, he, I mean, Mike Schilt is doing nothing different than what AJ does, Eric does, Gruppner. They answer the question, they don't give you a lot, but at least he adds a little color, right? He, he does. He, he puts the little commentary. I, you guys are persistent. I like that. I like that. He does. He's trying to, like, at least... He's acknowledging that I know you have to ask me this question. Guess what? I'm still not giving you the answer, but we can laugh about it. But what's the point in not giving away that Xander's playing you second base tomorrow? You, you know what's great? Honestly? There is no point? I don't know. It's I, a coach it's, thing? It's just been the way it has been since I've been able to comprehend what was going on. We should assume that he's playing second base tomorrow, right? We could. Maybe he's not. What I do know about managers, GMs, executives, they don't want to say something and then it not happen because then you have to answer the questions on why. Sometimes there's a good answer why. Sometimes there's an answer that you don't want everybody to know why. And so as opposed to putting themselves out there, they'd rather just say, hmm, I'm not going to reveal that right now. Because in, especially in spring training, so many things can happen. A guy can it happens literally every year. Guys in the lineup for a spring training game, he's scratched before the game starts. Yeah. You didn't have to answer the questions. Why did you say he's gonna play and then he didn't play? 
And, you know, if it's a reason that you don't mind sharing, then it's not a big deal. But a lot of times you do mind sharing it. You don't want everybody to know what that reason is. Maybe it's injury. Maybe it's something personal. Um, and so it just gives you a, a little bit of, of out. But that's the best answer I got for you, Scrape. No, that's <laughs> good. That no, that's definitely good. Um, Mike Schultz was also – this is a storyline we have to start paying attention to with the game starting and the season upcoming. But you, Darvish, is beginning to throw a little bit later than some of the other pitchers. And so uh, the media asked Mike Schilt about his timeline. I don't think necessarily. I mean, the lives are – we have value in the lives. And, and again, guys with more experiences and, and um, comfort levels, them being able to get built up in lives and work on some things – and actually with, without, you know, in a more of a controlled environment is, is important to be able to get guys to get to get built up. So it's a fine line because we don't want to overcorrect and, and sit there and go, okay, we feel like we've got to rush and get everybody ready, which we clearly are going to be for, for Korea. We also don't want to ramp up and be mindful that, you know, two games clearly are important. We have 160 after that. Um, so, you know, we can all do the math on, on that. Do you currently expect Darvish to start one of those two games? I currently have some thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mike. That's a good answer. <laughs> I currently have some thoughts about it. I, I wonder, I mean, it's a good answer because he's not going to give us any information. And no, I understand again, why that. Again, and quite frankly, why do you need to know? And I, why do we need to know? Who is going to start on March 21st? Because we've been waiting for the season you to start. Still, we want to know. Guess what? After I tell you, you still are going to wait. No, then we break down you, Darvish, in the second game of the year for the next month. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, again, he's going to do the dance. He's going to do the, the whole, you know, song and dance with the media on things that he doesn't want to reveal. And why would he reveal? I mean, I'll say this. I know... Uh, Dave Roberts has revealed his two starters. Somebody gets hurt, then guess what? That's going to change anyway. So, you know, or if somebody has a setback, whatever it could be. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know that we need to know. I think if they're healthy, they're likely to start this, those one. Tim and Joe are likely to start <laughs> games one and two. All right. I want to know now, but it's it's fine. I'm not going to know. I'm not going to know. It's You're okay. part of this microwave Microwave society? society. Yeah, Are you kidding me? Got to have it now. Uh, let's hear about the knuckleballer, Matt Waldron. Matt Waldron. Yes. He's he... not a knuckleballer. He's a guy with a knuckleball. Oh, it's okay. Different. Well, Mike Schultz was asked about the development of his knuckleball, so here's what he said. Yeah, I was really pleased with Matt last year. Um, I know he had a good off season. You know, it's a good conversation because he's got a – outlier pitch in the knuckleball um, but he I don't necessarily think we want to label him not that you are a knuckleball pitcher um, this guy has other pitches that that you look at one of the, the, the knuckleball complements those um, and we also want to be able to him to have it as a weapon which it clearly is and this thing's this thing's nasty um, so you know it's pitching right or pitching is disruption of timing so he's got the uh He's got a multiple arsenal, um, including the knuckleball, and just blending it in appropriately to make sense based on the moment of competition. I would you like get, to apologize to yeah, Matt Yeah, I told Aldrin. you. You better stop calling him a knuckleballer. Mike didn't like that. I think it's kind of cool to say knuckleballer. He's not a knuckleballer. But he is a knuckleballer. He has a knuckleball. 
That'd be like calling somebody who has a curveball a curveballer. Oh, he's a curveballer. <laughs> no one's ever said that <laughs> in the saying. history of baseball. He's not a knuckleballer. <laughs> he could be, but he's not. Right now, he still uses his other pitches at a high enough percentage where you can't call him a knuckleballer. He doesn't I, call himself a knuckleballer. Okay, then I won't call him a knuckleballer because I don't want to call Did you hear the like. kind of baseball nerd come out of Mike as he was answering that question? Like He like tickled himself inside. He was like, <laughs> this guy's nasty. It's, this thing is nasty. And then he kind of went back into answering the question. He did. He yeah, did, he's, yes. He's, I, I didn't quite catch it like you did, but I'm going to go back and watch it. He's a baseball later. lifer, man. He definitely is. Um, something a little bit different. This is not from Mike Schilt, but this is from Sammy Lev and Jake Cronenworth. Sammy Lev got it to do an interview. This is a two-minute clip. But I think what Jake Cronenworth says about bringing a championship to San Diego is pretty fun to listen to. How do you like San Diego just as a whole? I mean, it I, seems like you love it. Yeah, I love San Diego. I mean, you know, getting traded over in 20 and obviously didn't really know what to expect. A little older, older of a player and, you know, uh, you know, outside of the baseball part, just the city, what it has, what it provides. There, um, the fans at the stadium. Like, I don't think there's a better place to play in baseball. It would seem to me. I mean, it feels like we don't talk about it a lot because there's focus on the play on the field. There's focus on money, the contracts, all of it. But being in a place you really like and as pretty and wonderful as San Diego is, like day to day, that could make a really big difference. Man, I think you know, it's a great way to put it. I, like I said, man, there's, I don't think there's a better place from the city of San Diego, the weather, the beach, the ocean, um, you know, the military's there. you got all yeah. this stuff going on. The stadium's right downtown. The fans, you know, everything involved just makes it such an attractive place. And, and when you're there and you really get to enjoy it, you know, it's, it's one of a kind. Going off how you, about, how you feel about the city and the fans, I mean, what would it mean to you personally if, if it's this year, if it's at some point during this contract, this group was able to bring that championship to that city. Yeah, I mean, you can see I'm getting chills right now. Um, you know, obviously that's the main goal for all of us. And, you know, we're the only team in town. I know we got some other sports teams as well, but, you know, we're, you know, I feel like the city kind of, you know, ebbs and flows with us. And, you know, I don't think a lot of players realize that, but, you know, to kind of feel that from the fan base, like they're living it yeah. as much as we are, and to hopefully bring that first championship to a city, especially a city like San Diego that's so close, um, man, that day's going to be special. That's an astute observation from a non-San Diegan there. That is. That the city kind of ebbs and flows with what the Padres are doing, and it's so true. It wasn't always that way. I, I would argue that that was – the role of the Chargers yeah. for a long time. But once they moved away, the Padres have stepped into that fold. Uh, Jake, was it was a lot like myself when he got traded. He was older, 26, 25. I think he was turning 26 during the, during the season in July. Um, I got traded here when I was 26. And um, what's different is I, I kind of knew what I was walking into. He didn't. It was a, it was a blank canvas for him. And um, – it, he had a great first two seasons. He struggled a little bit the last two. Um, I'm just looking forward for him. I'm looking forward to seeing him just kind of get back to, to being Jake. Yeah. I, I don't think he needs to be required to be a voice or a leader. He he just needs to go out and just play. 
this year. Because we've seen we've seen it. And uh, on Eric Hosmer Retirement Day, everybody should thank Eric Hosmer for discovering Jake Cronenworth because Eric Hosmer goes out during the 2020 season. Jake Cronenworth comes in. We never look back. Eric can be credited with a lot. Toddy, he was one of the dudes who walked up into AJ's uh, office. Oh, about like, getting him on the opening day roster. He needs to be on the opening oh, day Oh, yeah, roster. that's right. Jake Cronenworth was another one. I mean, Manny's here virtually because uh, Eric was here. Because they're friends. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation we're going to get into. But um, someone on the chat says, I really enjoyed the interview. But what's up with that heavy equipment noise in the background? Yeah. You have no control over this. It's the beginning of spring training. Some things are still pulling up, showing up. Delivering. Cars, things of that nature. The one thing I will say about going to spring training that makes me nervous is that they blast music in the batting cages. Yes, they do. And they obviously it's don't have censored edited. music. It's not edited. And, and then whenever no one's even there, it's just <laughs> blasting. And I'm like, <laughs> so one day I went to go look to turn it off, and then I got caught real quick by, by someone. I'm not going to reveal who it was, but they said, you do not want to go <laughs> yeah, in there. No. You will never get back I'm on glad this that thing I, again. I didn't see you walking towards that place. Because I would have had to stop. Well, I'm you sorry. Right the uh, the the Kendrick Lamar was not working with our radio show. <laughs> hey, we in their space. That's how it goes, buddy. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to break. Speaking of Eric Hosmer, Chris and I will discuss his new podcast and his retirement when we return. More Gwen and Chris on the way. Gwen and Chris rolling through a happy hour on this Wednesday. Hope your Wednesday's happy. I don't know about you, Tony Gwynn Jr., but I uh, I reckon I saw dozens and dozens of celebration parties going on in America's finest city today. People gathering in the streets, shooting off fireworks, celebrating the news that our old friend Eric Hosmer announced his retirement today. Uh, I only I didn't say know that. Where you were going with that? Yeah, I only say that in jest because obviously nobody actually out and out celebrated. But you know, it's an interesting conundrum. Eric Hosmer and his time here with the Padres uh, was it as bad as everybody made it out to be? I mean, you know, he would acknowledge that statistically he didn't do the kinds of things that he wanted to do, right? But what was it about Eric Hosmer that, for whatever reason, Tony, seemed to rub everybody around here the wrong way? He never got on San Diego's good side. Uh, I don't know, honestly. I mean, outside of performance, which is understandable for any fan base to be upset about, I can't put my finger on, on what it was. I thought of Eric as a good clubhouse guy, a guy that... Uh, generally led, especially the young guys, in the right direction and, and gave them guidance. So, I mean, outside of that, I don't know, you know, outside of the performance, I don't really know what it was that had people up in arms. If it was just a performance, I think that's fair. But beyond that, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. Yeah, it seemed like the the, the dislike, if you can use that term, Certainly went beyond performance with Hosmer. And, you know, it's interesting to me. I mean, he dropped a pop fly or didn't catch a pop fly at the end of a game in Houston. You remember that one, Tony, right? Yep. And he came down the first baseline and and the ball dropped. And and 
people still refer to that to this day. Every time I'm playing softball, if anybody even comes close to missing a pop-up, it's, oh, you Eric Hosmer that one. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's five years ago. It's still on everybody's mind. And on a couple of other occasions, he, instead of stepping toward the throw at shortstop, in order to handle a bounce or to try and make a play, he stepped backwards, right, into foul territory. Something that I have seen many other first basemen do yeah. in order to avoid a runner, in order to, you know, get a throw. But I think once he did that and the throw got away, and forever and ever in the minds of San Diegans, the worst first baseman who ever played the position. Yeah. And it's yeah. just I don't I don't want to say it's unfair, but it was unfair. It was too much for really minor transgressions. It, it just seemed like those were those particular incidents were happening as he wasn't swinging the bat yeah. well. And so like it became like this big ball of uh, I, I think nonsense ultimately uh, because Again, outside of performance, which is a completely fair thing to be, you know, to be on them about. There was nothing else there. And so uh, I think ultimately you just lean on the fact that he got, you know, a pretty good chunk of change to come here to San Diego. And I think as you you heard him, him admit at this point that he did the performance wasn't up to his his standard either. Yeah, well, and, here, and, and that's and that's ultimately you know how it, it it really should have ended. Yeah, it's just amazing how the narrative went here about Eric Hosmer, and don't think that he didn't recognize it. Oh, uh, he did, and he said as much. Now he had a, a pod, he has a podcast, a new podcast that uh, today is where he announced his retirement, and he addressed what happened. You know, while he was in San Diego, admitting that he did not perform up to his expectations, but at the same time, kind of wondering why the narrative was so negative. You know, when I went to San Diego, I'll be the first to admit the performance wasn't what I wanted it to be, wasn't what I envisioned it to be. But at the same time, you know, some of the stuff that was being being written or some of the stuff that I read or people had tell me was, you know, I wasn't I wasn't doing that due diligence in the locker room. I was actually doing the opposite of pulling people apart. And that's something to me where I felt like I was on an island right there. Like, I want to tell my story. I want to be able to tell people what's, what's going on here, what's really happening. But I just didn't have that platform. And I feel like baseball players in general don't have that platform. Well, the good news for Eric Hosmer, I guess, Tony, is now he has the platform. He's got yeah. his podcast, so he can say <laughs> and give his side of the story. But it's, it's just interesting how things snowballed on him here in San Diego. I mean, this is a guy, if you look at his career – Right, World Series champion, and regarded as one of the reasons why they won that world championship in Kansas City. He yep. wasn't just a guy that was on the team. He was one of the leaders that helped them win that title. He's an all-star. He's a gold glove winner. But in the minds of San Diegans, he stole our money. Right? And, and, and that's just, I guess that just goes with it. Anytime a guy comes to town and, and doesn't perform the way they wanted to. Yep. I mean, that's... And, you know, it'll be interesting because I have no doubt that Haas will have plenty of guys that people want to hear from on, on this platform. Right. But it'll be interesting to see, it had Haas had this platform, right, 
would he have been comfortable enough to go on and be like, listen, that is this is just plainly not true and get into detail about it. Right. Because that's ultimately what he wasn't uh, wasn't really comfortable going into. And more importantly, didn't feel there was a space for it. And so it'll be interesting to see when guys come on there, if there is something along these lines. Yeah. How willing will they be to go forward and, you know, kind of really peel the curtain back of what's going on in the clubhouse. That's usually sacred ground. And, and yeah. because it, when you think about it, that was part of the reason we never heard from Hans. I think he's a big time believer in those, some of the old school values that a clubhouse has. And so as stuff started to leak out, um, it would it would have been interesting if that platform was around at that point. Yeah, but what really you know leaked out, and and how much truth was there to whatever leaked <laughs> out? I mean, people just assumed that he was divisive somehow in the clubhouse. I I don't ever recall a story saying that Eric Hosmer was divisive in the clubhouse, but everybody just uh, kind of went with that as fact. Yeah, I, I, I as as he was saying that, I was trying to harken back to think who who would have written an article saying as much, and maybe there was. It, listen, there, over his tenure, there were there were a lot of things going on at different times, right? Um, but the narrative is de- was definitely out there, but I can't remember an article actually stating that. He I was being divisive. It. Now, that, I, again, I could have I could have missed it in, yeah. in that case. Well, you obviously were traveling with the team. I mean, and uh, obviously, you know, I mean, you you saw many instances of this divisiveness. No, you didn't, <laughs> didn't and that's know. my point, right? So, but you know, this has been going on in sports for forever, really. Hosmer's probably the latest, you know, one to be affected by it. At least here in San Diego. I mean, Tommy Pham came to San Diego. We've uh, we've documented that many times. This guy's had a great career. He had one season that wasn't up to what he normally does. Happened to be here in San Diego. All of a sudden, he was a you know a, a bad dude, and, and and you know argued with the fans and got into issues and had that one off field incident. Look, if Tommy Pham would have hit twenty five home runs that year and hit you know two ninety and driven in you know his normal eighty runs. The incident would have been swept under the rug, right? But that just doesn't happen anymore. It goes all the way back. I I remember a player for the Angels when I was growing up by the name of Lyman Bostock, and he ended up dying in a, a car accident several years after this. But this guy was an all star, had been one for the Minnesota Twins, and the Angels signed him in the early days of free agency, and he came to the Angels, and Tony he could not get a hit. For like the first four months of the season. And I remember this guy, his hair was falling out. He was he, he went uh, in story, you know, newspaper articles. They didn't have the same social media, obviously, they do now. But he said, I want to give my salary back. Right. I don't even want my salary. I feel like I've let so many people down. And, you know, of course, the fans were on his case and on the organization's case. And, uh, you know, this had nothing to do with, uh, the you know, his passing several years later. But my point being, these guys are people, right. and they recognize what's going on, and there is an inherent pressure in signing a free agent contract Without somewhere. a doubt. Without a doubt. And, and we don't really think of it in that way. We just assume you're getting a ton of money, so your life is perfect now. And it doesn't always work out that way. 
I mean, in a perfect world, it does, right? You yeah, sign right. a deal, you come first year of the deal, you have one of your career years, and yeah. yet you just keep doing that every year. I mean, it, it never works like that. Right. But, um, I, I, and, and Eric is not the only example of signing someplace and it not working out the way that people envisioned it. And so, I don't know. I, I'm happy that he's uh, he's content where he is in terms of actually being willing to announce his retirement. And now he's got a, a platform that I, I think is going to be pretty successful. Yeah. Well, the uh, I, I think the final story on Eric Hosmer maybe hasn't 100% been written, but Eric Hosmer is going to go down in the minds of most baseball fa- most baseball fans as a really, really much better than average player yeah, who won sure. a World Series, who helped his team, helped lead his team to a World lead Series. his team, All Star, Gold Glove performer. He's going to go down like that everywhere, but here, right in San Diego. So, Eric, congratulations on your retirement and. Uh, no, I did not see a single party being had here in San Diego no. in the wake of that news. <laughs> we will take a break, come back, our interview of the day, more Gwen and Chris as we roll towards 6 o'clock, and then Scraby takes over with the Chronicles. Gwen and Chris on San Diego's number one sports talk station, 97.3 The Fan. Back here in the Odyssey Palace on 97.3 The Fan, it's just me. Getting ready for the Scraby Chronicles, as they say. I am Matt Scraby, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, Chris is calling the Aztecs women's basketball game. And, uh, you know, I let Tony out a little bit early because he wanted to go see his daughter's championship game. That is why he is still in San Diego, after all. He's going to be driving out tomorrow morning to Peoria. And he uh, should be on the call with Jesse Agler. It's going to be aired right here on 97.3 The Fan. So, noon. Make sure you tune in because you're going to hear your first sounds of baseball in 2024. I think I've said this before. I think I've actually said this many times before, but there, there's something that I just love, 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 love about baseball on the radio. I think it's one of the best things. It's one of the reasons I'm in sports radio is listening to baseball. And if you have good announcers like we do, good color analysts, good play-by-play guy, it's even better because those guys, if you've never really listened to the radio broadcast, I look it. And then we're going to hear from Mark Ziegler, who is still in Logan, Utah. So he'll give us an update on what happened with the Aztecs last night. And then you get the Scraby show at six o'clock, which I am going to, uh, which I am going to talk about Eric Hosmer. I'm actually going to present three different perspectives. I'm going to present, I'll get to that a little bit, but I'm going to present three different perspectives on this Hosmer thing. During the Scraby show around 6.15, 6.20. But I want to pump up Jesse and Tony real quick. Because as a sports talk guy, I love sports talk shows. And when you're listening to the game, you kind of get a sports talk show that is in the middle of a baseball game. So it's an easy listen, and I cannot wait to tune in tomorrow. I cannot wait. Scrabinators in the chat. Scrabinators are showing up early. No, Anthony, I'm not going to name. There, there's something that everybody wants me to say. I'm not going to do it. But we do have Mark Ziegler, and we do have some traffic. So let's hear from Mark Ziegler. He's going to talk about with the guys earlier. He talked about the Aztecs losing to Utah State, and he also kind of gave us some insight into some of the insults that Utah State fans throw at the Aztecs or threw at the Aztecs. Mark, I guess my first question is, you know, you wrote up this weekend how the Aztecs are, you know, were were – 
uh, ranked number four by the uh, committee. Uh, they would get a four seed had the tournament started today. And you, you know, you went into great detail about how those seedings normally hold. Uh, do you feel that the seeding holds despite the loss last night? I think so. And the reason is they were 14th overall, um, not 16th. And so that, that gives them a two team cushion to falling out of the four seed line to the five seed line. And I think a, a, a quad one win on the road where they were not favored is not going to hurt them that much. It'll maybe hurt them a little bit, but like Joe Lenardi, who, you know, puts out daily, um, uh, bracketology this time of year, he had them as the 16th team overall. Uh, and so that means they dropped two spots, but they're still a four seed. Now, I think what it did do is their margin of error is gone. Right. So uh, if you're going to lose again, it better be to a really good team, and you better not be favored. And that's going to be hard to do the rest of the way. Now, if they get into the conference tournament and get to the semis, the finals, I think the committee's pretty much got the, the, you know, the one through four seats done, and they're worried about the 11s and 10s and that type of thing. So if they get to the semifinals of the conference tournament without a loss, I think they're okay. Um, but they can't lose any of these next four. They just cannot lose any of them because none of them are quad one wins. And even though, you know, they always struggle at Fresno State on the road and UNLV is going to be really, really hard, uh, I think they have to win them. Yeah. Yeah, it would seem so. I mean, you kind of hit on it a little bit, Mark. The Aztecs have just struggled in the conference on the road. They just have not been able to get over the hump. I mean, you've been at all of these games. Is there a reoccurring theme in in these losses on the road? Oh, every single time it's the same thing. They're close in the second half, and that's the encouraging thing. They're not getting blown out. Even in the game at, at New Mexico where they lost by 18, you know, people forget that was a one-point game yeah. midway through the second half. They were up 12 in the first half. They play well enough to win in these games, but the problem is when they, when they get uh, into crunch time or they get it close, four minutes to go last night, down one, come all the way back, all the men are on their side, making all the plays, all of a sudden they just can't make a play. And it's a turnover or it's back-to-back turnovers or, it's, you know, at, at Nevada it was back-to-back offensive rebounds again last night. Two, two possessions in a row where they gave up offensive rebounds that turned into five total points. I mean, those are just killers. And they're not making plays at the other end. They're not making shots. And it's just in those stretches of the game. It's not the rest of the game. It's with five minutes to go, seven minutes to go, three minutes to go, whatever it is. At Nevada, it was the final minute. And in the crucial part of the game, they're just not making plays. And that's just I don't know what it is. It's just this this little flaw in this team. And, and uh, it's just it's like if they played 100 more road games and sold out arenas at altitude, I think they'd lose all 100. I mean, in the same way. It's just that's who they are this season. But now in neutral courts and at home, they're undefeated. Yeah, and that's what you brought up in the article. I mean, when you get into the – other than the conference tournament being at Las Vegas, you know, pretty much everything postseason is always a neutral site game, and they seem to find a way there. Uh, so they, you know, that is something they can take with them. Was Jaden and Ladie a hundred percent healthy last night, Mark? He didn't look right. Came out of the game very early in each half, which I understand because of the altitude. But I mean, he seemed he willed his way to twenty three points last night. Yeah, you know, I asked Brian Dutcher about that. He did not indicate there were any kind of any kind of illness, anything along those lines. Um, he, um, I think, you know, sometimes with these guys, the altitude just gets to him. And I think it did last night, you know, maybe a little bit tired, maybe he didn't get a good night's sleep. Um, but 
uh, he definitely was laboring. There was no doubt about it. I noticed it the first couple of plays down the floor, trying to run down defense. You know, they'll they'll come back on defense and they'll be, you know, getting ready for the half court set. And he's just gasping for air, and then he just sucks it up and plays. That said, I mean, he was incredible last night. And if if it wasn't for him, they would they would have gotten blown out. Um, he didn't get any help other than you know a couple guys off the bench, but from the rest of the starters, he, they gave him nothing. Mark Ziegler joins us here, Union Tribune, and, and Mark, you know the thing I, I look at the stat sheet, and it's very rare that I see a team shoot fifty percent in one half and close to that in the second half. Was that more of a, a, a you know? Utah State hitting tough shots, or or was the defense a, a little sl- a step behind last night? Well, it's always a step behind in altitude. I mean, I, I you know, if you don't tell me where they're playing and just show it to me, I can tell you immediately if they're in altitude or not. Mm. Um, it's just, it, it's not that guys are keeled over, gasping for air. It's just, it looks like they're running in, in sand. Uh, and that's, just how it is. And usually by this point in the season, they've gotten used to it and they're a little bit better. This team, for whatever reason, has not made the same strides that other teams have late in the season, you know, playing multiple, multiple games in, in altitude. Um, And so I think that was part of it. Uh, Utah State's not a great three point shooting team, but you know, they were great in their own building last night and defensively, you know, let them take some threes. I think that was part of the game plan. They went under a lot of ball screens uh, Darius Brown hit a couple, um, or hit more than a couple, um, and he's usually not that type of shooter. So uh, I think it was a little bit of both, but it definitely was the difference in the game. Mark, uh, Lamont Butler, I mean, he's everybody's all-time favorite guy, and he's always going to be everybody's all-time favorite guy. They'll never be able to take away what he did. But how does he have a game like he did last night? It just didn't go his way. I mean, goose eggs in points and assists. I mean, to me, I don't think we'll ever see another game like that from Lamont Butler. It just, it just for whatever reason, didn't work. Did they take him out, or did he take himself out of it? They took him out. Um, I think, you know, I think they just realized he wasn't doing anything. I think it's hugely, hugely frustrating, if we're being candid, for a guy who's a senior to be that inconsistent. And, and what's really, and we've talked about this a little bit before, what's really bizarre about this team is you have such – wild inconsistencies among individual efforts. Um, you know, some guys like Lamont will have a game where he'll score in the 20s, and then he'll have a game like he did last night where he just completely disappears. And that's just not him. That's everybody except Jay Leonard uh, D. I mean, he he's pretty much gives you what he can every night, and I think the refs kind of move him up or down in terms of scoring, uh, depending on how they're calling the game. But he, he he's consistent. The rest of them are not. Yet the team is consistent. Yeah. The team's really good at home. Pretty good in neutral floors and really bad on the road. And and that's what's just kind of bizarre about this team. But yeah, that was you know, that's something that maybe you expect from a freshman, maybe from a sophomore who hasn't played that much. Um, you're gonna be have inconsistent moments. But for a fourth year senior, um, who's had really good games at, at Utah State, in fact his breakout as a freshman was there when he had I think five steals in a game. Um and so he had good vibes in the building, but I, I just don't know what happened and Again, maybe it was a little bit of the altitude. Um, who knows what it was, but it, he, did, he wasn't there. It's certainly a, a interesting way to see it, right? The individual 
performances, inconsistent, but the team very consistent. And maybe that's why they have struggled on the road is because you kind of need those things to happen for you on the road. Mark, there was a lot of talk on on, on the broadcast last night about this conference, and obviously they highlighted um, the f- five teams that currently sit well as it pertains to the tournament. But there is a six team. You mentioned UNLV that could be lurking. I mean, is there? Can you envision a scenario in which six teams actually get in to this conference into this tournament? Yeah, I mean, it, as crazy as that sounds, there's yeah. certainly that's that's in play. And and here's the scenario that no one's really talking about, but. Okay, let's. UNLV does not have the metrics to get in as an at large, so it's the other six teams that would. But what happens if UNLV on its home floor finally puts it together and wins the conference tournament? Um, you know they're talented enough, and they have the motivation because they know they're not going to the NCAA tournament otherwise. So what happens if if they if they win this thing? Do they take seven teams? I mean, I I can't envision that. I think the bottom team. Um, would drop out. And and one thing that's going to happen between now and the end of the regular season is, you know, you have a bunch of teams with five losses right now, but they're going to play each other. And if, if the results don't go just right, you're going to have a team with seven losses, maybe even a team with eight, but probably a team among that group with seven losses. And I think that team might be out um, unless their metrics are through the roof. So I tend to think it's going to be five um, and one team will drop off, but you know, just keep an eye on UNLV in that conference tournament, and that could be the absolute wild card among all wild cards. Mark Ziegler, I want to ask you one thing that I don't know that I've asked you before, but uh, it comes to mind uh, in the game last night watching uh, Reese Waters jawing a little bit with some of the fans there at Utah State. And you go to all of these uh, venues and see all of these fans. I mean, the pit. And, and Utah State's fans are crazy and everywhere else. And San Diego State's fans, yeah. are, for their part, are remarkable. How do you kind of rate the fans in this conference? Who do you think is, I don't want to say the best, but where is the best atmosphere in the Mountain West Conference? What's the toughest in terms of opposing fans? Well, the best student section, I think, is Utah State when they're, when they're in you know, when they fill out their 4,000 seats and they were like they were last night. I mean, just the sheer size of it, it's, it's 40% of the arena. And it, and they're organized. They're allowed. I wrote a little piece about what they do. They, they hand out a sheet before the game that's got, like, bio information. Um, Rick and really? Neil, the other team's players. Yeah. In, oh, yeah. yeah I, I, I'll have it up online a little bit here later. I'll try to put a screenshot of it. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really, you know, they have one, one side of it is all their chants and their traditions. The other one, you know, went through five different players and it, you know, it, one had a, like a, a QR code to a, um, a Twitter page that had a 10 year old picture of Darian Trammell in a suit at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so and, they don't leave any and, stone uh, unturned there. Another one had, oh yeah, they had a, uh, somehow they got a hold of Micah had somehow posted his cash app handle. Uh, for money transfers, and they said, God, wouldn't it be a shame if a whole bunch of people put in um, money transfer requests to, to Micah? So, you know, you got students sitting around for an hour before the game holding their seat. I mean, how, they all have cell phones. I mean, how many of them did a cash app request to Micah? I mean, that's the kind of stuff they do. It's great there. The pit is great. And And one thing people have to realize is college basketball today, just like college football, a lot of the crowds are shrinking. And in, in the Pac-12, except for Arizona, I mean – uh, maybe a couple games in Colorado, they are not full arenas at all. The Mountain West is kind of an aberration where Nevada sold out most nights. Utah State, 
New Mexico, Boise, San Diego State. Um, you know, those teams are all getting huge crowds, and it's, you know, don't take it for granted. It's really, really cool and really special. And the one thing I want to say about Reese Waters, John, Adam, um, whether you think that's a T or not, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that, Chris, but you saw on Friday night Jalen House did that multiple times to the show, pointing at him, gesturing yeah. at him, swearing at him, um, screaming at him, no T. And yeah. the ref who called the T on Reese Waters is the same ref who ref the game in the pit with San Diego State uh, and would oh. not call a T on yeah. uh, Jalen House for uh, yeah. basically high-stepping into the, the Aztecs bench. So I thought that was a little odd. And a little inconsistent. It's very inconsistent. And I, I looked at that replay. I was trying to figure out what Reese did to get the technical. And it looked like he was just yelling back to the crowd saying, I made a shot. That's not a technical foul. So I, I don't know Apparently where Apparently he to. cursed and, and he never curses. Yeah. Now, maybe it was because we were in Logan, Utah, and he cursed. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what. Maybe the standards are different. But would you call that? I no. mean, if you're in a, in a high school game and the guy versus at a, at a student section. You I would go. honestly try to get up to him and say, you know, watch your mouth and, and give Keep a warning. Moving, yeah. Especially, I mean, so you can't tell me Jalen House didn't throw a curse word in somewhere in all of those celebrations. Oh. Hard to imagine. I heard him. I was sitting by him. <laughs> there you go. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for everything, man. It's been a fun year, and it's going to get more fun as we go along, and uh, we love having you on. Thanks so much for uh, contributing today, and we'll catch up with you down the road. That was the famous Mark Ziegler. He is great. I rem- This morning when I texted him, he said, hey, I'm still out in Utah, and I'm not sure if I have good service, but let me give you a call right now and see if my service is okay. So he called me, service was good, and he came back and he drove, or drove, and he joined the show. So thank you very much, Mark Ziegler. That does it for today's Gwen and Chris. Hope you enjoyed it. Stick around because we are going into the Scraby show, experience, chronicles, whatever you want to call it. And that's going to be happening here at 6 o'clock. So stick around. I'll be right back with you.